2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 6. Paul is writing here, for even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. Father, we're asking you to open up your word to our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that we will be able to minister to each other. Your word gives us insight that we can't get on our own. In fact, your word says that uh, these things are spiritual thoughts that have to be appraised spiritually. And we realize, Lord, that uh, we don't always tune in to what uh, you are saying to us supernaturally. And so we're asking, Lord, that you will just shed the light of your spirit upon our understanding today so that we can behold truth. And then when we look at it and understand it, that you'll help us then to have the power to do it. Because sometimes, Lord, we have a tendency to want to do the opposite of what we know is best. And so we're asking you, Lord, to give us those kinds of insights today and that kind of power today to live these things out so that we can see the progress as we are continuing to walk in your way and follow uh, the teachings of your word and the promptings of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, one thing about Paul is that he was uh, acquainted with turbulence. Uh, He had... Uh, a lot of troubles that kind of happened on the outside. He had gone through shipwreck, and he had had uh, beatings on occasion. He had been in prison. Uh, He suffered from what we call the thorn in the flesh, and he'd ask God, please take it away, Uh, and it didn't go away. In fact, the answer that he got was, uh, my grace is enough for you. And uh, and he realized in that that there was uh, strength that came even in spite of some of the difficulties that we go through. And another biggie was is that when he got uh, saved and became a believer, the early church didn't really believe it because he had been a persecutor of the church. And uh, I, I really think that uh, the first time we get acquainted with him is when he was at the martyrdom of Stephen. And when he was present for that stoning of Stephen, who was our first Christian martyr, uh, he had been given a mandate by uh, the uh, Jewish leaders and with permission of Rome to get rid of this guy. And he didn't actually pick up a stone, but he stood there and everybody dropped their coats so that they could have a good swing and arm. And they picked up the stones and they stoned Stephen to death. And after this, a big persecution Big persecution broke out, and people were being dispersed into all the surrounding regions, and he was the one that was heading it all up. What we read about uh, Paul in connection with this is that this was a, a guy that was uh, pretty much on top of his game. I mean, he, he was well-educated. If you look at Philippians 3, and we won't go into that today, but he was kind of giving a defense to the Philippian church of who he was, what he'd done, uh, how he was connected. Uh, not because he was trying to brag, but because when false teachers come in, they usually try to discredit uh, the teacher first 
And then after they discredit the teacher, then they begin to undermine the teaching. And they were doing that in Philippians. And they were saying, you know, because Paul wasn't really a public speaker uh, and he wasn't really known, and you, you can read that in Scripture, he says, you know, oh, they say my speech is unimpressive. and on, But he says, I'm, I'm not really coming to uh, do a show of oratory. I'm coming uh, in demonstration of the power and the Spirit of God. But that was kind of his reputation. So it's almost like, who's speaking today? Oh, Paul. Oh. That was, and he knew it. Uh, and, and so they would play on that. And so he had to give this list. And so he said, okay, I was born into the aristocratic tribe, meaning that I came from the tribe where all the kings uh, were born, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I was part of the ruling uh, class uh, in that I was a Pharisee. I was educated under Gamaliel. That doesn't really mean a whole lot to us, but he was one of the top teachers of the day. If you studied under him, that made, under him, it made everybody's, you know, uh, ears perk up and they go, wow. And, uh, he went on and gave this list. And so this was a man who uh, was well thought of in Jewish circles. When I say Jewish circles, I'm not talking about the, the Jewish community, but even the Jewish leaders. Because very often when you say the Jews did this, it wasn't talking about a race of people as much as it was talking about um, a leader, the leadership group of the Jews. And so he was right up there uh, with that. So he gave this list and when he gave this list, uh, he was so prominent and he was so trying to defend his religion and what he had come to know that uh, when Jesus came along and his followers, he thought it was really his, his obligation to get rid of them. So when he got saved, you can imagine what the early church thought. He's just, you know, he's saying he's a believer, but I think he's just after the church database. I think he wants to find out all the addresses. He wants to find out where everybody is. He wants to know what everybody's doing so he can just more easily wipe us all out. So they didn't think he was saved. And sometimes that happens even now. Sometimes somebody will come to the Lord and uh, the family will say, well, you know, we'll just kind of hold back and see if there's really a change. We'll see if he really is everything that he is saying. When we walk with the Lord, this spiritual journey does not... Uh, make us exempt from turbulence, not even the apostles. Well, you know, you're an apostle, you think you're in on easy street, you know, you have the hand of the Lord on you, why would you go through anything? But sometimes the apostles even went through uh, more difficulty. Even this apostle who saw the Lord on that Damascus road was knocked off his, I call it his high horse, and uh, heard the Lord audibly, and he had spiritual visions at times, he still needed comfort. So it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how well you know your stuff. There are times when life just kind of hits you. Or something bubbles up inside of you and you wonder, where did that come from? And we need to just pause and hear what the uh, Lord has to say to us about that. It's interesting that this man who could hear straight from God still needed other people. And it's important that we see that in him because it it saves us from this uh, Lone Ranger type of Christianity where it's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody. You find some people, you know, I just prefer to read my Bible at home. I don't need other people. And and I'm here just to let you know it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about other people. And and it's about what other people need uh, from me as well. 
Uh, and it says in our text that I was comforted by the coming of Titus. You say, well, God spoke to you, Paul. Why did you need to get a message now from somebody else? Uh, because that's how God does it. Because he wants us not to just uh, depend on our own intellect, but we need one another. That's what community uh, is all about, is that other people reach out to us. But not just that. There are times when we need to be a Titus for somebody else. This is not on a slide, so you know, don't freak out. I just was thinking about uh, the verse. I had it down there as a reference, but I thought, I, I need to read this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. I guess I'm a little suspicious if somebody says, you know, I got it all together and I'm, I'm just so happy now and, and uh, you know, I, I never really suffer from any lower level of joy or anything. I think that's a person who is a prime candidate to, to be pouring into somebody else. When everything is okay for you, there's a reason for that. That means at some point you went through something. How many are with me on that? That at some point in my life I went through something, okay? So if, if I went through something, I have an obligation then to share the comfort that I've received with somebody else. So the idea that, well, you know, I don't think I need to go to church today. I don't have any particular need. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't think I need to go. Well, if everybody felt like that, what if everybody was having a good Sunday except the one person that came up that was having a bad week? There would be nobody there to really comfort that person. So Paul is bringing the balance in all this. It didn't make him less spiritual to need some external consolation. So what I admire so much about Paul the Apostle is the ability that he had to receive consolation, and not only an ability, but I think a humility uh, to get a word from somebody else. And sometimes when you pray and you pray, you're not getting your answer, something's not coming through, the Bible just doesn't, it, you know, sometimes it jumps off the page at us, sometimes it doesn't, but um, that God would bring somebody else to say something to us uh, is amazing to me. I, I admire his ability to regain strength from the presence of the Lord and his amazing resilience that was fueled by the fullness of God. I don't know. When I when talk about shipwreck and beatings and prison, a lot of times we'll be thinking, what am I doing wrong? Uh, why, why are things not going better for me? He had this unbounding, unbounded joy in his life and uh, yet things didn't you know, seem to go right. We tend to look at it very simply, sometimes thinking, wow, everything's going well for them. They must be living right. And yet, if things go wrong, the converse of that very often is what people think. It's like, wow, look at what they're going through. I wonder what they did. You know, there's so much you hear in society today, people say, well, that's karma. They're getting their karma, you know. And it's like, you know, whatever you put out, you get back. And, and you don't see that in the Bible. You don't see that in the Bible. Yes, you reap what you sow on the one hand, but it also says the wicked prosper. You can't really judge people by what you see 
on the surface because that just not, may not be the indicator of what's really going on in their heart. So the important thing is, is before God, we need to just live the way that we need to live. He is the righteous judge. He's the fair judge. Um, and you think, well, you know, if people think I'm a certain way, it must be that way. That's just not true, uh, especially if they don't think very well of you. You're happy then that maybe you have uh, God working on your side and, and uh, seeing you for who you really are and not just what people think. Aren't you glad that we have a righteous, fair judge that looks over our life and not just what other people think of us? Because people can be fickle. People can be fickle. You know, they kind of look and see where the wind is blowing, and that's kind of what they think. Where You know, if they, all they need to do is hear something about somebody, and they believe that, you know. And uh, we need to be careful of that. I find uh, great strength in looking uh, and discovering the secrets of the saints of God who finished their course and learn not only what made them tick, but how they got through individual phases of their lives. Uh, Paul wasn't off track here. Uh, he was simply on his journey. He was doing God's will going where God wanted him to go. And then out of the blue, suddenly, he had these afflictions from every side. There were a lot of conflicts going on on the outside. And then on the inside, it was met with fear. What a great setup for depression when you're feeling kind of lousy on the inside because of everything that's going on on the outside. So you don't really have anything good going on anywhere at that moment. And it says, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us. And, you know, a lot of times you might be going through things, but it's not bothering you emotionally or mentally. But uh, even if things are fine on the outside, but things are not so hot on the inside, uh, you can be pretty miserable. But what a setup. It's like the perfect storm mentally and emotionally when everything is going lousy on the outside and you're not feeling so hot on the inside or because of what's going on on the outside, uh, things make you feel worse on the outside on the inside, and and actually, as we're going to see in a few moments, there is a sense in which anxiety multiplies uh, within us once it gets a foothold. So Paul wasn't off track. Uh, it was depressing for him. And should we view this in Paul as a weakness? And even if it was a weakness, is it really a big deal? Because uh, Paul came to a point after we had talked about all the things that he was, all the things that he had done, all of his connections, everybody that he knew, his great education, he said, through that thorn experience, it just didn't go away right away. It, it kind of tapped him into uh, his humility. I also think probably one of the things that uh, occasionally would nag him through life, and that's why he really became dependent on the grace of the Lord, is that he was really... Uh, complicit in the murder of Stephen. And I don't know, I, if I had stood there and saying, go get him, and people had laid down their coats and put them at my feet, and this guy, I watched him get bludgeoned to death with stones, that would weigh on my conscience. If I was sending people out to, uh, to you know, pillage all the Christian homes possible, I, that would weigh on my conscience. I think he had, and, and I don't know what it was that bugged him, what thorned him. But he had learned that in the midst of his weakness, God's strength could be experienced. 
And, and this is a, a very unique thing about Paul that I don't think we always tap into. He says, just when I find that I am weak, then I am strong. I have come to the place where I have learned to glory, meaning I, I boast about, I get happy about, I get excited about. It's like, okay, what's, gonna, what's God going to do now? I can't overcome this in myself. I can't get this out of my mind. But God, would you please help me? Would you work in spite of what I am going through? He says, and God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. So where we like to find out what's that person's strengths, you know, we, we uh, like to put out uh, resumes and we don't say, and here are all the things I'm really lousy at. No, resumes usually tell people what your skill set is, what you're good at. And you want people to know what you're good at. And Paul said, but that I have found now has never really been the avenue where God's power works in me. Every time I say I'm really good at it, it's like a little block goes up. But if I say, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know the answer for how I'm going to get through this. And I say, oh God, let your grace be enough for me in this area of my life. And uh, he comes through. So we're going to just briefly uh, share three secrets that have helped me in times when my heart has been turbulent, and that is the secret of consolation, uh, the secret of presence, and the secret of resilience. The secret of consolation, I guess, comes right down to get a word, you know, get a word from God, you know, and I don't know if you've kind of filtered it down into how you know God is speaking. But I can tell when God is speaking to me. It's not just something I read in a devotional, but I can tell when he really speaks directly. It's like a sentence, a phrase. And very often I've found it's something I would probably not be telling myself or I hadn't thought of. And then all of a sudden it pops in there. And then I'm okay. Look at Psalm 94, 19. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me. Here's that verse. He's talking about the multiplication of anxiety. Once you get worrying about something, it's amazing how creative you get. You know, when people say, I'm just not creative. I go, really? Have you ever worried about something? Yeah. Have you ever stayed awake at night thinking about all the horrible things that could happen because of this? Yeah. You're pretty creative. But it's an unsanctified imagination. But... We need to say, God, sanctify or set apart, clean up my imagination so that I could think of the possible ways that you could be working in this situation where I could not. But anxiety itself multiplies. And and the Word of God, uh, whether we read something in Scripture or whether while we're reading He reminds us of something or pops something into our minds, uh, that becomes a consolation. It kind of stops the cycle. It stops the way that our thinking has been going. So a consolation in this verse speaks to me of that divine interjection into the turbulence of my heart, which dispels the anxiety, and it builds its own momentum, uh, which builds its own momentum if something more powerful doesn't overwhelm it. So if there's something powerful overwhelming me, I need something more powerful to... to overwhelm that. Now, I was thinking a while back about an experiment that my high school science teacher did. And 
you can Google it and watch it. And I had to watch it over again because it, it started to mean something. I mean, I never got that when I was in high school. It's like, wow, this is a really spiritual uh, experiment we're going through here. What an, I think there's got to be an application that I might use someday when I was a pastor. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor when I was in high school. But I remember that experiment, and years later it came back to me. And the, the teacher had uh, put a bowl of water, a clear bowl of water, up on, you know, those science desks are, are quite a bit higher. And she said, come on, everybody, come around here. And so uh, there was a bowl of water, and she took one of these, like, McCormick pepper things and, and took the top off and just started to dump it, and the pepper was floating all over the surface of the water. And uh, she said, now watch this. I, it's possible to get all of this pepper to just kind of go to the side. I don't want to see that. She stuck her finger in it, and nothing happened. She stuck it in again. She stuck it in at different places, and nothing happened. And then she, you know, we were like, you think you can do this? Then she said, watch this. She took some uh, soap dishwashing soap, and she smeared it all over her finger. And then she put her finger right in the middle of the bowl where all that pepper was on the surface. She went like that, and it went, the pepper just went to the side. And the, the illustration, I mean, the story was great for me because I thought, wow, how many times do we, like, poke around in the, you know, this cloud of pepper that comes over our minds and in life sometimes. And we poke around, we're thinking, you know, we try to swish it to the side, kind of get rid of all this. And then in one little shot, because she had this soap on there, it all went like that. Now, if I, what causes that? Well, there's like a surface tension that's in uh, that bowl. The water has that surface tension and it took something uh, really more unique that that soap had the texture of that. I, I don't know what it is. I'm not even a scientist. All I know is it worked. How many knows you don't, you don't even have to know everything for some things to work? I don't know why engines work the way they do in cars. I'm so glad though when I hit that button it springs on. So I use it. I don't know exactly what was happening other than when her finger that was coated was put right in the middle. It broke the surface tension. And that's how God wants to work in our lives. You may try, I may try to poke around at things sometimes, but when God, surrounded by his glory and anointing, comes and says, I have had that happen a number of times in my life where I just, I couldn't think my way out of it, through it, no matter what. And I... I just said, God, and, and I tell people sometimes, look, if this is all like going like this and you don't know what's going on, just ask God to come and put his finger in the middle of it. Just say, if that's all you can think of, you don't have to even say it theologically. You know, the Bible says sometimes we don't even know how to pray like we should. But the Spirit will pray through us with groanings too deep for words, meaning God helps me through things that I don't even know how to express. You know, and really... Why do I need to always tell God exactly what he needs to do? Now, God, I need you to do this. And then after that, you're going to have to do this. And then, God, you're going to have to. And we, we know that the Bible is all about being specific in prayer. Jesus said, ask. But sometimes we understand from Scripture, it says, you don't know what you're supposed to do. All you know is you need help. Help can be a very scriptural prayer. Help. 
Put your finger in the midst of this, Lord. Dispel what's going on because it's overwhelming me. Philippians 1.16 says, For I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a life verse for me. When, when I first come to the Lord, he starts something in me, but I'm not done yet. I've got room for improvement. Anybody else here got room for improvement? Okay. He started something in me, and he's going to finish it. Paul is interjecting a word of comfort and promise into the lives of the Philippians. The promise is something that we see in the second part of the verse. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The comfort is in the first part of the verse. I am confident of this very thing about you. Someone else reminds them of the promise or introduces a promise to them. This is what, uh, when, when people might come up to you and say, I have a word for you. I feel like the Lord's impressed me with something. Uh, this is how I always, you know, look at it, is that if somebody comes up to me and say, I have a word, I don't have to turn my life over to them. But God will use them to drop a seed of thought into my mind, and it's something I haven't even thought of before. Or I have been thinking about it, but I wonder, is this just me? And then all of a sudden, somebody say, you know, I don't know, this, this word just dropped into my heart, and I feel like I'm supposed to share it with you, you know. Uh, and I always like it when people kind of come humbly that way, and it's not, you better do this or else. But when they come humbly and say, I'm just laying this out. And then when they say it, and I've been thinking about it for the last week, and I haven't told anybody about it, that becomes then a confirmation. So either there is going to be a word that's going to be brought in to get me thinking in a way that I have not been thinking about, or it's going to confirm something to me uh, that, that I haven't. And so I've become a lot freer in just saying, you know, this has just come, you know, take it as something that might get you thinking in this way, or uh, let it be a comfort to your heart, uh, or uh, confirm something in you, and I believe that the Lord uses us in that way. Whether it comes through somebody else or directly from the Lord, in times when the heart is turbulent, you just need to get a a word from the Lord. I can remember, it's been quite a while back, and I was uh, on staff in Ohio in my dad's church, and I can remember being up front, uh, just leaning over the stairs, and just, it was, I don't even remember what it was anymore, but it was really, really bothering me. And I, I can remember just weeping before the Lord, and it wasn't an out-of-body experience, but it was certainly something I have never forgotten. I felt like the hand of God just kind of got my back and pulled me out of the sanctuary. I can remember going up through the ceiling and out of the church, and the church got smaller. Warren, Ohio got smaller. Ohio got smaller. You know, the states, the United States got smaller. The world got smaller. And I'm going backwards out into the universe and I'm going, wow, what's going on here? All of a sudden, I stopped. And I heard this voice say to me, how big is your problem now? And I said, Lord, I can't even see it. I mean, I can hardly even see the earth. Now you're beginning to see things from my point of view. And nothing is too difficult for me. And with that, I was right back. Did everything change right away? It did not. 
But I changed. Why? Because God gave me a different point of view. That, you know, when you're right up against something, you are really right up against something. You know, if you go up to that wall and put your nose in the middle of uh, one of those shapes there, that's all you're going to see. But if we can pull you away, you can realize you're in something which is a you know, greater context. And sometimes that word from the Lord needs to pull us away from having our nose right in the middle of whatever it is we're facing so that we can see it from a different perspective. I can remember a number of years ago after that experience, I can remember exactly on Highway 75 where it was. I was going through a time of real turbulence uh, in the church and I really wanted to change my life verse to say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. And I just would say, I'm done. I am done. I am done. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you will stay, and it will get worse. How'd you know that was the Lord? Because I would never tell myself that especially not how I was feeling that day. And I obeyed. And it was true. It got worse. And why did you, you do it? Because God had told me to do it. And it's amazing what you can get through, go through, if you just know that God is speaking to you. So a while later, I, you know, I thought, okay, he said stay. He said it would get worse. When is it going to stop? And I can remember we, where we live in DeWitt, uh, there's a retreat center there. It was a former uh, monastery. It's called St. Francis Retreat Center. And they have beautiful grounds. And they have, a, uh, they have a modern chapel. And then they have a traditional chapel. And I like, you know, I go in. It's, it's just so quiet. And they said, anytime, Pastor, you want to come and sit? And there you can. So I just go in and sit there. It's so quiet. And I chose on this particular day to go in and sit in the traditional chapel. And I was just sitting there and saying, Lord, how long? That's a scriptural prayer because in the Psalms you, you read over and over again, how long, O Lord? You ever wondered how long, how long, O Lord? And I would say, how long, how long? And I felt really prompted to look over my right shoulder. There was this, in this traditional chapel, this big stained glass window with the Lord and the fig tree, you know. The disciples were saying, should we cut it down? It's not bearing fruit. Should we cut it down? And right under Jesus with the fig tree was this verse, and it said, give it one more year. I knew right away the Lord was speaking to me, but I still argued. And I said, Lord, that can't be you. This is a Catholic chapel, and I'm a Pentecostal. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, I can speak to you wherever I want to speak to you. And I obeyed. And out of that obedience, when that year was up, God began to open up a whole new dimension of what he wanted to do. Our church became uh, so international and, and so diverse and so multi-ethnic. And, and I mean, people just seemed to be coming in from, and I thought, wow. But had I not had that word that gave me comfort and gave me assurance and gave me direction, that probably would not have happened. Secondly, the secret of presence 
Get before God. This is another great verse, Psalm seventy-three twenty-eight. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Even Jesus tapped into this. Look, look at Luke 5, 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. The NIV says he would go to lonely places. He would just slip away and get rejuvenated and, and find the power that he needed to uh, go back into it and do what needed to be done. Presence is the remedy when things don't get fixed quickly. Presence is the remedy when things don't get fixed quickly. So, you know, sometimes you pray and it's like, wow, that happened quickly. And other times it's just, I have to get in the presence of God. I had to, when I got that, give it one more year, I had to pull away often just to be there in His presence. When the disciples sometimes would get worried about what they're going to eat and drink, where they're going to have shelter, Jesus would try to calm them down by saying, if you look at Luke 12, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. I don't know about you, but if I think about Peter sitting around considering the lilies, it kind of tickles me, you know. He's this rough and tumble guy who couldn't control his uh, mouth sometimes, and he would, you know, kind of blow up. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, I want you to consider the lilies. Why? Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about their lives. Instead, consider this or consider that. You know, when I think about it, I've never met a neurotic lily. What is it about lilies? If you look, they're just kind of directed towards the sun, and then they just stand there. They're not like, ooh, where's the sun? Ooh, oh, wish I looked today. Ooh, ah, ooh, ooh. They're not go- you don't see these little, you know, lily heads going like this all the time. Wonder- it's just basking, it's called. Basking. What is basking? It's sunbathing. Same words. To bask is to sunbathe. I grew up near the Jersey Shore, and I wish that I had not basked as much as I basked. But as far as the presence of the Lord, the concept is the same. When you think, why do we go and smear stuff on our bodies and do this for hours? Why? Soaking in the rays. And yet when it comes to the presence of the Lord, we're in a hurry. And it comes, we just need to change our habits. Forget the sunbathing and bask in the presence of the Lord. Just, there's something you soak in by being with Him. In fact, C.S. Lewis said a real Christian allows his mind to run up to the sun from the to run up the sunbeam to the sun. And and what we learn is you don't major on the sunbeams, the minors. You major on what's really important, and that's his presence. If you uh, look at a king who is holding court, 
I can tell you, you know how you see those old movies where the king comes in and sits on the throne? When he comes in, all the people are already there. They're already there in the room. And when he comes, you know, they all bow, the ladies curtsy. Uh, and let me tell you this. When the king enters his court, he was king before he walked in and sat on the throne. And when he walked out to go into his private quarters, he was still king. He wasn't just king when he showed up for everybody. And, and part of what the courtiers would do is that they would wait there. Well, he said he was going to come. No, he didn't say. They were just waiting there for audience, waiting for the king to manifest himself, for the king to show up. And then when he walked out, nobody said he's not king anymore. And, and basking and waiting in the presence of the Lord it's not like walk in, whoop, didn't feel anything, and leave. It's like, Lord, I'm just here because I know you're king. Whether you manifest yourself today or not doesn't matter. I am positioning myself that if you want to do something that is manifested, I'm, I'm happy to receive that. But if not, I still know you're king. And I'm coming and I'm waiting where I need to wait in your presence because it's the right thing to do. Gonna go on to the secret of resilience. And what does that mean? Get back up. Get back up. When life hits you hard, you get back up. Look at Micah seven and eight. Seven, seven and eight. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise, and though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is light for me. That's a great verse set of verses on resilience. Don't rejoice over me. I'm going to get up again. You know, when you fall flat on your face or fall backwards or life knocks you down, you know, just to be able to realize, okay, I'm down here, but I'm going to stand down here. I'm going to get back up. Don't, and quit laughing at me. Quit rejoicing that, you know, life isn't so great right now. I'm going to get back up again. I, I can remember. How many of you remember that movie, Finding Nemo? Okay. I went to that movie with Anne and our daughter. Well, how old was she then? Was she like like 14? She went with us, which I thought was great that she wanted to go with us to that at 14. She was sitting here. Anne was here, and I was here. And, then, you know, and it, it was a cute movie, and I thought it was really cool when they started talking whale, you know. And I thought it would be really cute. So I leaned forward, and I went, Hello, Amanda. I am your father. She was mortified. <laughs> How many understand why she was mortified? How many can understand why she said to my wife, I am not going with Dad to another movie? Okay, I think I kind of fell flat on my face on that one, Dad's. Thankfully, I am resilient, and my daughter is forgiving because we've gone to see things before. But at that time, it's like, I am not, I don't want to go in, you know, oh, I hope none of my friends are here. It's like, oh my goodness, why is he doing that? And it was just so much fun, I just like couldn't stop. 
You know, I like languages, you know, so I thought, okay, I'll add whale to my... Didn't work. When I was a kid, I had uh, this thing called the Popeye punching bag. Anybody remember those? They were kind of conical shaped, and then at the bottom it was filled with sand. And so you fill that thing up with air, and you go boom, like that. And, and he would go, come right back up. I mean, really fast. And uh, so I would just punch at him and punch at him, and he'd come right back up, come right back up. Well, then it wasn't my only toy. So I could, you know, put him away, and then I'd play with something else, come back a couple of days later, and i go, boom, and he kind of go, a little slower. He still came up. Well, that wasn't exciting, so I stuck him away and played with something else. A few days later, come back, and, and I punched him, and it was like, mm, just kind of stuck there, you know what I mean? And I, I thought it was broken. So I said to my dad, Popeye's broken. And uh, he said, no, he isn't. And he went over, and he took the nozzle out, and he, he filled it back up. He filled it back up with air. And and put the nozzle back in. As soon as he put the nozzle back in, he punched it, and zoop, he came right back up. I thought it was like a miracle. You know, Popeye's okay now. But, but that is what getting back up is all about, and the secret of that. And he explained it to me. He says, there's nothing wrong with him. It's just that the air leaks out over time, slowly, and you need to fill it up every once in a while. And so the secret of resilience is the fullness of God. That's why Paul would say, be filled with the Spirit. You know, you need to be filled to overflowing with God. It's amazing what you can take if you have that joy of the Lord inside. It's, uh, it's what Timothy Keller calls spiritual buoyancy. Look at that. Joy is a spiritual buoyancy that comes when you are rejoicing in God. If you've seen, been out on the sea or on the lake at all, buoys just kind of bob around. They, and you can pull them down, but they come right back up to the surface again. And things try to pull you down and pull me down as believers, but that spiritual buoyancy helps us to get back up on top again. Sometimes when you just feel like you caught your breath from one thing, something else comes. It's like you're trying to swim along and, and you think, I'm just catching my breath, and somebody comes and puts their hand on your head and puts you back down under again. But spiritual buoyancy is that rise up back to the surface response to life when life knocks you down or tries to push you under. Romans 8.28 says, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's not the trite little cliche that somebody, you know, when something happens and somebody says, well, all things work together for good. What it really means is God causes all things to work together for good. What does it mean? God grabs the turbulence of our hearts and he causes good to come out of it because he loves us. I look at it like this. Something can be twisted and mean and nasty that's happened in your life and God in his great love and mercy, reaches down, he grabs a hold of that thing which is bad. That verse is not saying, oh, that's a good thing. No, it isn't. It's a bad thing. But God can grab a hold of that and somehow, over time, he works that thing into where actually something good can come out of it. I've found that some things that have happened in my life 
weren't necessarily good for me, but because I got through it and because I was resilient and because I thought, do not rejoice over me. Even though I fall down, I will stand back up. I've been able to be a blessing to somebody else and help somebody else. And every time you take something that is difficult in your life and allow God to get a hold of that so you can be a blessing to somebody else, you've given the devil a black eye. And that's what it's all about. So I want to pray for you today that whatever turbulence you are in or you may be going to go through, that you will just uh, learn to get a word from the Lord, to get before the Lord, and to be resilient and bounce back. Would you stand with me, please? If you have some turbulence in your heart today, you can stay right where you're at. I just want to pray for you that the Lord will uh, do what he needs to do in your heart to where you can leave this place with a sense of hope that either God's going to speak to me or I'm going to be surrounded with a sense of his presence or he's going to help me to keep my head above all this, that you'll leave this place knowing that it's going to be okay. Somehow, some way, it's going to be okay. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Because I just want to pray with you before we go today. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. I want to learn these things so that I can get through stuff better than I have. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to have your way in us. Have your way in us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to learn the secrets of getting that word from you. And I pray that you drop a word into people's heart today that say, I need to hear I need to hear something from you. I pray, Lord, that you will surround our brothers and sisters, Lord, in a sense of your presence today. And I pray, Lord, that they will just find rising up within them that this may knock me around, but it's not going to knock me out of the game because I'm going to be filled with all the fullness of God and he will bring me back right on top of the game in Jesus' name. Lord, as we leave this place today, we leave with a sense of your presence We realize, Lord, we don't leave you here, but you go with us. You dwell within us, Lord, as children of God, and we walk with you. And we pray that throughout this week, we'll be very dependent on your spirit at work within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.